Our scripture reading tonight, we're going to bring Colossians home, Colossians 4, 7 through 18. Let's read that together, and we'll hear from God's word, okay? Colossians 4, 7 through 18. good to go, will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning uh, whom you've received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you've received from the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, as we get into the sermon, if you um, would like to pray with somebody, there's some folks in our leadership in the back just throughout the sermon. We're, we're keeping the night a little bit shorter on the back end tonight in light of this. Um, but I know that as, as people respond to Jesus, there are things that the Holy Spirit does in each of our minds and hearts. So if you want to go back there and pray with somebody or talk about something, feel free both during the sermon and after that um, as we close out the night, okay? This semester, we've been preaching through Paul's letter to the Colossian church, and tonight we come to the end. A handful of New Testament letters end just kind of like this with greetings and personal requests. My favorite comes from 2 Timothy, where Paul asks Timothy to visit him soon because it's winter and he's cold. And he says, would you bring to me my cloak and the books and above all the parchments? This is the Bible, friends. And we have these personal details that amount to something like a shopping list or a to-do list or something. There's often very little theology in these passages. We don't learn a ton in terms of teaching about who God is and what we're called to from these passages of Scripture. But the fact that these texts exist at all in sacred Scripture tells us something pretty phenomenal about God and who we are to Him. In other words, it's not so much the content of these passages as we close out Colossians that we're going to talk about tonight as it is the very existence of the passages themselves. You matter, friends. You are part of a much bigger story, and we're going to see that in our text tonight. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks and praise for the work that you've done among us, for new brothers and sisters in the church, forgetting to participate and share in one another's stories, forgetting the opportunity to bear witness to your glory and to bear witness about what we've seen in your glory in each other to the whole world. Thank you that we matter to you. May it be true that we matter to each other. May the words of my mouth and the meditations and thoughts of each one of our hearts be holy and pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So as Paul is concluding this letter in verses seven through nine, 
uh, the first couple verses there, he tells the Colossian church, just, I'm just going to give you a little bit of a layout of what's happening real quick and then whatever. Okay, he tells the Colossian church about some of the people who are delivering the letter to them. So Paul's writing this letter, sending it with them, right? Tychicus and Onesimus. And at the end of verse 9, he says, they're going to tell you everything that's taking place here. Which is such a good reminder that there's just so much more going on that we don't know anything about. Right? What are all the things that Tychicus and Onesimus are going to tell the Colossian church? We don't know. And then Paul extends greetings from some other people who are with him. Aristarchus and Mark and Jesus, who's called Justice and Epaphras and Luke and Demas. Finally, Paul takes the pen into his own hand and gives his own personal greetings and instructions. I turn, turn your attention to verse 16. When this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. Here's how all this probably would have worked, okay? Paul's in prison. Paul's in prison. Which probably means that he was handcuffed or chained to a guard in some kind of house. And somebody else is probably penning the letter while Paul is dictating it. Tychicus and Onesimus were going to take the letter with them to the Colossian church. So I imagine they're probably there with him or close by. Aristarchus, Mark, and Jesus, who's called Justice, and Epaphras, and Demas, and Luke. Maybe many of them are, are down in the room or in the kitchen or, or, or in another cell or down the hall or a couple miles down the street. If they're in the room with him, maybe they just said, hey, would you tell them I said hi to? Tell them I said hi to. Tell them I said hi to. If Paul's locked in a room rather than chained to a guard, um, at this point you can just imagine him kind of pacing back and forth, dictating this letter. If he is chained to a guard, maybe he's just kind of sitting off to the side and at a certain point he says, may I? And he shuffles over to the table and he picks up the pen to write these final greetings for himself. And if that's the case, of course, as his pen, as he pens the final line of that letter and he writes, remember my chains, those chains are literally being drug across the parchment. And when this letter arrived at Colossae, what would have happened? As Tychicus and Onesimus were bringing these parchments with them, we know that they carried at least three letters with them. We know that they carried the letter that we call Philemon. We know that they carried Colossians. And we know that they carried Ephesians, what we would call Ephesians with them. And as this Colossians letter is delivered to this church in Colossae, what would have happened? Well, it would have been given to a local elder who would then have read it publicly to everyone in their community. Multiple people around, coming from the other room or just down the street to hear what the Apostle Paul had to say to them. It would have been read out loud. And then they would have discussed it and maybe looked over some different parts of it again. Maybe they would have read it two or three times or a dozen times. Asking, how is God calling us to respond to him in light of this letter that we just received from his beloved Apostle? They would have made copies of it to hold on to and sent a copy to other churches so that they could have it read in public there too. And whatever letter went to that church would have been sent to the Colossian church. And you know what happens every single time that this letter is read aloud in its entirety? And please, friends, I don't know. Many of us, if we've been raised in church traditions in modern day, the modern day West, many of us have learned to read just snippets of the Bible at a time breaking it up into bits. We have no idea, for example, what Ephesians is about, but I know what Ephesians 3, 7 through 9 is about, you know, kind of thing, right? Like that's the way we've been taught. And there's value in the sort of zoom in thing, okay? But if you can imagine, you get a letter from the Apostle Paul and somebody comes up and says, you guys, we just received a letter from Paul. And this parchment gets unrolled and somebody starts reading it. Nobody's gonna raise their hand and interrupt him two verses in. They're gonna finish it. It just takes like nine minutes or 10 minutes. I mean, it's a short letter anyway, right? It's not gonna take long. They're gonna get to the end. Every time this letter is read out loud in its entirety, do you know what happens? 
a bunch of names get brought up at the end. And what do you think would have happened in Colossae when verse 17 was read aloud? Check it out. If you've got your phone still open, check it out. What do you think would have happened as, as verse 17 keeps getting read out loud? Say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry you receive from the Lord. How many people are sitting in that crowd looking at Archippus? You know, how many people do you think went up to Archippus and be like, dude, what is he talking about? Or do you fulfill that, bro? You know, or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like, like what, would, what would have happened when those names were read out loud? And if we just think of this as a corporate letter, like if that's all we think of it as, like literally just a corporate letter written from a guy to a church, none of us would find this very strange. Like say hi to so-and-so for me. I hope you have a great holiday season. TTYL, like that sort of thing. You know what I mean? Like none of us would find that stuff very strange. But is it surprising to you that that kind of thing is the Bible? That personal greetings and say hi to so-and-so become part of God's holy scripture. Maybe you, like me, get to the end of Colossians, and there I'm reminded that this isn't some abstract theological treatise. It's a letter written from a dude to a bunch of other people. These are not just religious thoughts and untethered spiritual maxims. Like it's some kind of like Jesus fortune cookie book. It's a letter written from a guy and his friends to a bunch of other people to encourage them and to challenge them. And God has seen fit to fold this into his holy scriptures. And oh, how we struggle to hold human and divine things together in our imagination. Because if the Bible were just a bunch of human words, like thoughts and reflections about who God is and what it's like to be human, if it were a best-selling book on Amazon and from some smart or sensitive or creative person, reflecting on religious experiences. I don't think any of us would be disrupted by that. Millions of those get printed every year. None of us would be, sure, people have their thoughts. You know, this person seems to connect with me. It's like a great song. They put words to a feeling that I've always had, you know, kind of thing with those kinds of things. None of us would be shocked by that. On the other hand, if golden tablets, sort of like the clouds parted and light came down and golden tablets just descended from the sky, you know, kind of thing, right? Or, or, or even if it's a letter, at least Paul's eyes are like rolled back in his head, you know, and he doesn't know what's happening and the pen's moving and then it's just, whoa, it's the Bible, you know? Maybe, I mean, like that, okay? I, I, I know that's wild, but I think many of us think it has to be something like that if it's of God. But other than the Ten Commandments themselves, and God did that twice because Moses got so mad he smashed him. Can you believe it? The only thing that we know of, I mean, Jesus surely in his human life uh, on earth must have written things sometimes. He diddled in the sand once. Doodled in the sand once. Um, wow, we got to edit that recording somehow. Uh, somebody? Okay. Um, the, uh, other than, than, than that, we don't have any record of God, God's self writing something other than the Ten Commandments, right? And here comes Moses with him, and he sees, and it's miserable things that he sees. Smashes them and goes back up and says, God... Please, uh, may I have some more, you know, kind of that's what he says, right? Okay. Um, and, and, and this is the sort of posture of all of our lives before God, right? Um, other than the Ten Commandments, every other thing you read in the Bible is something written by a human being or a story told by a human being. Yes, what they wrote is about God and their experiences with God, but these are thoroughly human texts. And yet, Christians affirm that these are also the very words of God for us. The Apostle Paul says all of these words that we call scriptures are breathed out by God. Peter even calls Paul's letter scripture at the end of 2 Peter. Every single Tuesday night, we did this tonight. 
When we read scripture from the Bible at the end, somebody up front says, this is the word of the Lord. And everybody says, thanks be to God. But aren't we just reading a 2,000-year-old letter from a guy named Paul? If nothing else, the names at the end of Colossians reveal just how very human the letter is. Do you see? Written from one guy who's under some kind of imprisonment to another church a number of miles away. And yet when Christians read this letter, we affirm that it's the word of the Lord. Which one is it, human or divine? Yes. Just like our Lord, yes. Jesus is fully man and fully God. Actually, before I get to that, one of my friends said this about the Bible once. Gotta be careful, it's gonna be a long night and I'm on tangents. Um, one of my friends was, we were talking about the Bible one time and he goes, isn't it just crazy how vulnerable the Bible is? We were talking about how, I've, I've talked about this here this semester, how, how Satan uses scripture to tempt Jesus. That somehow God has made his texts so vulnerable to the human experience that we can misuse them. Paul tells Timothy, handle the word rightly because we can handle it wrongly. You see what I'm saying? And my friend was like, gosh, it's so crazy how vulnerable God has made his written word. And you're like, isn't that interesting? Because he made his living word that vulnerable too. We misuse him and mistreat him, kill him, in fact. Why do we not think that, the, that if, the, if, this, if the fount of all creation is human and divine, that we would not see ripples of that and fingerprints of that all over the place? Jesus is fully man and fully God. Neither his, this is gonna, you might think you know this, friends, okay? Neither his humanity nor his divinity were compromised by the other. He is not 50% and 50%. He is 100% and 100%. He's not a third thing combined by those two things. He is 100% human and 100% divine, and this is a great mystery indeed. That's what the church has said. For you history and theology nerds, Google the phrase hypostatic union. For real. If you're like, whatever, hypostatic union. That's me, I'm like that. Okay, um, this conversation about the hypostatic union is what, not in those phrases, we came to that in the 400s, but, but this conversation is what dominated the first few hundred years of the church. What do we know and not know about Jesus Christ? And how do we talk about him without being heretics? You know, when the early church came up with the, the concept of Trinity, they didn't think, our church did not think we were explaining God. We were guarding mystery against heresy. That's what they were doing. We're going to say Trinity, and anything that, 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 that creeps into here that isn't triune in nature is heresy. And somebody might go, well, explain it further. And we go, we can't. We will only affirm what has been expressed and known to us. That's it. We're not going to go further than that. God forbid we say more than what's been revealed. God forbid we say less. It's great mystery indeed. And the best we can come up with about Jesus is fully human, fully divine. And in this way, what's true about the living word of God is also true about the written word of God. Paul's eyes did not roll back in his head. He was thoughtful about what he wanted to say and what he wanted to communicate. He said hi to his friends. He asked questions that he wanted to ask and he prayed for what he wanted to pray for. And his friends said, hey, tell them I said hi too. And Paul wrote that in there. This letter is fully human. In the New Testament, sorry, in the new heavens and in the new earth, I'm going to ask Archippus what he was supposed to be faithful to at Colossae. 
And there's going to be an actual answer to that because it happened in space-time. I'm going to ask Paul, our beloved brother, what was on those parchments that you wanted so bad? I'm going to ask him what Alexander the coppersmith did to make him so upset. Lord willing, I'm going to ask Alexander the coppersmith himself. For years I've been trying to get Alexander into a sermon. I know that this stretches our imaginations. I know it. When I start talking about I'm going to meet Alexander the coppersmith and I'm going to talk to him about some of this stuff that's written 2,000 years ago in a letter, I know this stretches our imaginations, but listen, God forbid I don't say what God has revealed. These are actually the promises we have in Jesus. Do you know that the promises of Jesus mean that for those of you who are in Christ, you're going to know Tychicus. You're going to share all the inheritance of Jesus with Demas. You're going to hang with Jesus who was called Justice. He had to go by another name, you see, at a certain point, you know, okay? You're going to know Nympha, our sister, and ask her what it was like to run a house church in the first century, in first century Rome. What's so hard about these promises for our imaginations is that we have to wed together heaven and earth, divinity and humanity, because if I were to tell you that you're going to leave your body, right, and be some kind of spirit being forever in the clouds, for some reason, many of us find that to be an easier pill to swallow. But when you try to ask me to imagine that my physical body or the dirt or automobiles or information technology or fire, actual fire is somehow a part of God's divine plan, well, that stretches me maybe too far. And I think it stretches us like that because we're tempted to believe that our sin and Satan have won so great a victory that anything truly human must be done away with. I'm going to say that one more time. I think we're tempted to believe that our sin and Satan have won so great a victory that anything truly human needs to be done away with. Friends, Christ Jesus, our Lord, who is fully human, was raised up into heaven and is sitting right now at the right hand of the Father. Humanity is at the right hand of God, flesh and blood. Right now in the throne room of heaven, reigning over all things, and with all things being brought under his feet is a human being. Our brother and our Lord and our lover, Jesus Christ, and he's the Son of God. God of very God, true light of very light. That is, it's just great. If I were to say that, and it wasn't something Jesus said, we would all say, I'm a heretic. It's so crazy, the promises of Jesus and the things that he has lived out before us in history. What I'm telling you is true, and what I'm telling you is an unfathomable mystery. That Jesus, in his body, has raised humanity up to the very courts of heaven. And when I read names at the end of these letters, I'm reminded that these people are a part of this story of God. About the, it's, it's this reminder, it's this way in which I picture, at least as I read these names, and increasingly over the past few years as I read genealogies and lists of names at the ends of New Testament letters and such, this is this practice, I, I suppose, that's starting to come into my life of seeing these names as people in history who've been lifted up. They're now saints. I get to meet them one day. Somehow Jesus has brought them in and he bears witness to them and advocates for them and for me in the courts of heaven. He breaks down every dividing wall, not just between race and socioeconomic class and language, between life and death. The greatest thing which divides humankind. 
He breaks down all of these things in himself. And when I read names at the end of these letters, I'm reminded of this kind of thing. I'm reminded that these people, not just religious ideas, moral principles, inner faith thoughts, whatever that means, I don't know, that, that people are part of the story of God. It's not just ideas and beliefs and spiritual practices divorced from our mundane life. As if all of this is about quiet times and prayers. These are real people in time and space and God has assumed their stories into the scripture that has been passed down for generations all over the globe and now presented to billions of people in the world. Billions of people have heard of Demas. Not because of anything Demas did, but because God decided that a letter written by a guy some weekday afternoon would be counted and credited as holy scripture. And Demas's life doesn't matter because his name showed up in a Bible book. The Bible book just bears witness to the fact that Demas matters. Do you know, friend, that God can and will take the words that you use, the things that you do, the things that you say or don't say or think or don't think, that he'll bring all of these things under the feet of Jesus in order that they participate in the divine story of the cosmos that God is weaving throughout all history. Your successes, your sufferings, your failures, your hopes and dreams, your broken hearts. Every single thing brought up by Jesus into the singular narrative governing all time and space. Everything you do matters. That's what the names at the end of this teach us. It's not just ideas that are important in the kingdom of God. Everything is important in the kingdom of God, especially people. You may remember Jesus getting um, a little razzed by the Pharisees and him responding that the laws that Jesus himself made were made for people, not the other way around. The Sabbath is made for man, he said, not man for the Sabbath. Normally, I don't mind when people are reading scriptures and we get these names wrong, normally. I think you gotta start somewhere, and as long as you're humble and try, I think that's really kind for you to try. Because uh, names are hard sometimes, especially if we encounter a name from a different cultural experience. It's hard for us to know what to do with it. But tonight, in light of our sermon, I wanted to make sure I get these names right. <laughs> um, so I wanted to read the scripture tonight because I wanted to make sure I nailed the names. Because our names matter to us. If I call you by your name that's not yours, twins, sorry. Um, I don't do that, but you know, other people might. Um, I did that to Sydney a couple weeks ago. Uh, Sydney, she shows up every single week and helps out with sound around here. She's running sound back there right now, I think. You running sound back there? Yeah, she's running sound back there. Um, so a few weeks ago, I said, hey, Shelby. Um, and to your credit, Sydney, uh, you were very gracious with me in responding to you. Um, and either I'm thankful to the Lord that you didn't hear me say that, or I'm um, thankful that you understood that there is appropriate times to lie and tell me that you didn't hear me say that. Uh, that was really nice of you. Um, but our names are these symbols which communicate to the world who we are and that they're baked in history and culture and all these kinds of things and they're, they're these little portals into who we are and who we communicate ourselves to be in the world. And when somebody knows our name and says our name, it locates us in time and space and helps. It's a small little reminder that we're part of a bigger story, that we matter some way. And when somebody forgets our name or says it wrong, it's just as easy. It's just as easy as it is to believe just a little bit that we're part of something that we matter. It's now easy to believe maybe I'm not a part of something and it don't matter. We're not as central or important to the story. 
So I wanted to read these names because I just, I wanted to kind of marshal all the, the resources I've got to, to remember and recognize that these people who lived 2,000 years ago are a part of the story of God, that you are not the center of the whole story. God is, and he welcomes you and Tychicus in with him. We're going to meet all these people, friends. Martina and Andrew are going to meet these people, and I want to get their names right tonight. Not just the idea of them. These people don't just exist for instruction for us at the end of a letter. That is true that we can be instructed. That's what I'm doing tonight. There's some instruction that's baked into this, right? I get it. But that's not their primary purpose. That somebody lived a life and suffered a life just so you and I can sit in a 21st century room with mediocre heat and air and Wi-Fi and try to figure out how to get a date and how to graduate college. Demas's life is not about that. Do you understand? He matters. They exist because they matter to God. Their lives back then mattered and their lives have been swept up into the redemptive work that God is doing throughout history, just like Sydney's work with sound on Tuesday night, just like the baptismal process that we're involved in tonight with Martina and Andrew. If God can use a brief greeting at the end of a 2,000-year-old letter to be a part of his living and active word, then what do you think is off limits to him? How is God going to fold the actions and inactions of your life into the redemptive history that he is weaving throughout the whole entire cosmos? If Tychicus and Onesimus matter, why don't you? If Aristarchus and Mark and Barnabas and Jesus, who is called Justice, matter, you do too. These names might as well be your names, friends. The most important things in this entire letter in the end are not ideas, they're names. The most important things aren't moral activities or spiritual truths. The most important things in this whole letter are Tychicus and Onesimus and Aristarchus and Mark and Barnabas and Jesus who is called Justice and Epaphras and Aristarchus and Luke and Demas and Nympha and Archippus and Paul. And what's true about them is true about you. You and I and they were fearfully and wonderfully made, the psalmist says. And then the psalmist says, and your works are wonderful. You see what happens? The psalmist recognizes that he too is a work of God and God only makes good things. And that must mean I'm good. You see? That's true about you. And the end of this letter reminds me of that. In the middle of the letter, right at the beginning of chapter three, there's something really, this always happens, this always happens with, my, with our beloved Hebrew brothers and sisters, okay? They put everything important right in the middle. You got to work to the middle a little bit. Right in the middle of this letter, in the beginning of chapter three, Kirsten preached on this a few weeks ago, okay? My attention, your attention, if you're reading along with Paul, is focused on things above. At the right hand of the Father where Jesus is seated. That's where our attention is focused. But then right here at the end, I'm reminded that all this stuff is happening here below too. Not just in ideas, but in the lives of real people living real lives they matter to God. That's why they're there. God didn't need tablets to come down from the sky. He wants to use the very mundane activities of your life and he wants you too, just you, or matter more than any of your activities, to be a part of the grand narrative that God is um, achieving throughout all of redemptive history. This is what our hearts ache for. It's, if you read through the book of Revelation, and now I'm on a tangent on Revelation, sorry. Um, if you read the book of Revelation, there's this moment where John is crying because there's this scroll that represents human history. 
And if you've experienced suffering, your family's experienced suffering, and you're paying attention to the ways people suffer throughout the world, maybe you can see yourself in, in the posture John was in in this moment. He's looking at this scroll that represents all of human history, and John cries out, who is worthy to open this scroll? In other words, who is worthy to make sense of all of this? Who can stand over all this and tell me what it means and how it matters? And in comes a slain lamb. He's the only one worthy to open the scroll. He's the only one. He takes all of the messes of history and the brokenness of history and the beauty of history. God forbid we flatten it too much. He takes this whole thing and he sweeps it up into his own narrative and what he's doing in the history of the world. This is, this is what happens. You matter to God, friends. Your life is part of a much bigger story than you can imagine. Mine is too. And we're in this together. And until that day comes and we get to meet all these lovely people mentioned here at the end of Colossians, until that day comes and we meet them, let us remember that each of them and each of us were fearfully and wonderfully made by a God who loves us and our stories are a part of his. Hear this, this whole thing isn't about God being a part of your story. It's about you being a part of his. Thanks be to God in Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Let's take a minute now. Uh, we've been trying to practice this this semester in a world so full of noise I wake up and go to bed checking notifications on my phone. You know, many of us probably with, you know, unless you're dodging people just by putting headphones in and not to not talk to them, um, which is cool. I like that. Um, you, you, I do that a lot. Uh, I bought big fat ones to get made fun of by Kirsten and also, um, also to just not turn them on and so people don't talk to me. Um, I'm cool with that. Uh, but, but most of us probably, I think, go, you know, a whole day with just a few minutes tops of no noise. Maybe not even that. Um, and, and, and there's so much going on here, here, here. <laughs> there's just so much going on, okay? And, um, and so it might be scary for you to spend a little time in silence, but we thought we could practice that when we're together. It's a little easier to practice stuff together than alone. Um, so let's take a minute just to pay attention to what God might be doing in your mind or your heart in light of um, participating in somebody's baptism and hearing from his word and reflecting on the fact that you matter to him. Let's take a minute or two in silence and then I'll close us in prayer and we'll sing one more song and uh, party together. Father, everything in this world 
asks for our allegiance. Everything asks for us to give our lives over to it. You're the only one who gives your life to us first. Would you help us to believe tonight even as we sing one more song to you? Um, help us, send your spirit. Help us to believe that you actually love us and that, you, that we matter to you and that the things in our life that we don't understand, that we, we can't make sense of, the fog that exists in front of us and some of our decisions and hopes, help us to remember that you're with us until the end of the age. Help us to remind each other of that. Help us to not settle for trying to make sense of all this before you unroll that entire freaking scroll. Thank you for the promise of new life that's always before us. Receive our praise to you tonight um, with pleasure, please. And um, give us what we need to be faithful to you the rest of this evening even. In Jesus' name we pray.